This podcast is made possible through donations from listeners like you and our partners at Tallman Equipment, where they pride themselves on equipping their customers with the tools they need to get the job done right. They are dedicated to set the standard for quality, convenience, and reliability. At Tallman, your opinion is important to them. Rate and review any product or tool you've used on their new website at tallmanequipment.com. Line 11 Clothing Company. Making apparel for our first responders with a positive message to patriots that you can be proud of. The proceeds of the cost goes to helping our foundation ignite the fire for father engagement. Give them a follow at Line11Clothing on Instagram. And last but not least, Monzingo Knives. Each knife is created with craftsmanship that only a tradesman could provide. Find them on Instagram at Monzingo Knives and get your American-made Monzingo knife today. Hey guys, welcome to the Show Up Dad. This is a podcast for hardworking fathers looking to level up their fathering skills and be more than just a paycheck or provider for the home. I want to welcome Joseph Luciano. Joseph is a candidate running for the great state of California governor's position. His educational background is in philosophy and communications. Joseph is originally from Chico and is currently residing in San Diego with his amazing wife and his two lovely children. His points of focus as a candidate running for California is the first, second, and fifth amendment. Again, I would like to give a warm welcome to Joseph for joining us today on the show. Hey, Joseph. Thank you, brother. Appreciate you coming on here. Hello, David. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. It's good to be here. Absolutely. Can I have you just tell our listeners, you know, what it was like growing up in California and how things have changed from your childhood to now, if you don't mind? Absolutely. I I grew up in Chico, California, Northern California. It's a, it's a beautiful little small town. You know, people think of it a little bit differently outside of California because it always shows up in... Uh, Playboys, number two or number one party schools, you know, Chico State University. Mm-hmm. So it's uh, it's always known as as this party school, but that's or is this party town, but that's that's really only surrounding the, the college, which is a tiny little part of the town. The uh, growing up, it was just it was a it was a dream, you know. My downtown courtyard was this grassy gazebo and they had music there every friday night the beach boys played there even and uh, you know just the whole town could go down and enjoy some good wholesome music on a friday night all the parents would get together all the kids would run around the park while the music was going on not a worry in the world not a care in the world nobody worried about anything bad happening to their kids and it seems like nothing bad ever did happen Mm -hmm. but today it's a completely different scene. That same courtyard that I was just talking about is paved over. It's turned into a fountain for homeless to come and shower, and it's, the entire courtyard has been taken over by a homeless encampment. Bidwell Park I grew up in, uh, just playing and swimming in the creeks, uh, running my riding my bikes and running horses through the forest, and it was just, a beautiful place to be for a child. And now, again, the entirety of Bidwell Park is overrun by homeless encampments. You've got needles and human feces everywhere. There's no-go zones in the park because there's gangs of, of homeless criminals residing, and they, they won't let anybody near. There's videos of it. It's just it's a completely different scene. And it's, it's all because, you know, the 
the liberal agenda has essentially tied the hands of everybody that's in these small towns who would do anything about it. You know, you, you, they don't allow these the citizens to go and, and, and do anything to clean up the homeless problems, do anything to even educate the homeless to the nearly 100 beds that are available in Butte County every night for them. So it's just, you know, and now you've got everybody moving from San Francisco. You've got the entire country sending their homeless out to California. And they're residing in these small towns now, and the, the big cities are just letting it happen so that it's not something that they have to deal with. Gosh, man, that just sounds horrible. I mean, just to, I remember going out there when I was in the military and, uh, and partying a couple times in Chico State, and I remember the, uh, the official beer, according to, <laughs> to some of the, the people yeah. I hung around with, was uh, Sierra Nevada Pale Ale. <laughs> you know what I mean? Sierra so, Nevada. Yeah. yeah. It's a big part of the culture, even in high school. You know, they, they were, everybody was always wearing the Sierra Nevada sweatshirts. Mm-hmm. That, was, that was our thing. You know, now, in Sandy, living in San Diego like I am now, I, it's, a, it's a completely different thing down here in the city. The, uh, the high schools are... Well, not nearly as conservative as as my small town was, but we we wouldn't even let girls wear spaghetti strap, you know, tank tap tank tops to school when I was a kid, and they, it was the the argument was always whether or not they should even be wearing a a beer sweatshirt. Wow. To yeah, things have definitely changed, and I, I agree with you. I mean, it's it's the policies that are being passed by these people. Um, I kind of wanted to ask you now that you've kind of painted this picture of how it's changed i wanted to ask you about your relationship with your father and how was that growing up yeah that was uh it was a very important relationship for me he was he was there for me my entire life he was um he is still uh and you know i i hate to think what i would be today if i if i didn't have my father because it's it's a struggle growing up in this world. You know, it's, it is for everybody, every single person. It's, uh, nature is not fair. And this world will constantly attack your freedoms, your, your independence over your mind, your body, your spirit. And I would, I'd hate to think where I'd be right now if I didn't have that guide in my father. Uh, he was a builder mm-hmm. and he was a history teacher, or he is he was he is a builder he was a history teacher and he was a football coach he stopped all that teaching and coaching when i got to high school um but i he he was a head football coach at paradise high school you might have heard about paradise it got burnt down to the ground yeah thanks yeah. to pg&e about a few years back now and uh yeah my dad was a head football coach there at paradise high school so that hit home big time hmm. you know that that high school just completely disappeared, burnt down. The whole city burnt down to the ground. And you know, to what, this day, mm-hmm. you know, nobody's really been held accountable. Jeez. But uh, yeah, moving on to my dad. I never really uh, went to daycare as a child. I I hung out with my dad. He was a builder. I went around to all of his job sites, and then in the afternoon we'd go to football practice. And that was my childhood. I hung out with construction workers and high school football players. Hmm. I and couldn't ask for anything better. No. I mean, honestly, how different is that from what people have these days? But that was my childhood, and I, I loved it. I was out there on the construction sites, playing in the 
sand piles when I was just a little kid and, you know, learning how to dig trenches. And eventually, by the time I was 10 years old, I was he put me to work. It was my job to clean up the, the site at, at every stage because, you know, after, like, every stage of building, you have to do a new a cleanup for the next screw that comes in. Mm-hmm. And then eventually... Once the house is done and you're ready to put carpet down, you got to detail clean the heck out of that thing. So when I was 10 years old, my dad would give me 10 bucks, and it'd take me about three hours to detail clean one of those houses. <laughs> <laughs> but that's what—that's how I learned hard work, you know, and that's how I learned the value of a dollar. Hmm. So it's just—I mean, this is again all without daycare. Mm-hmm. How important is it just to have a father, just to spend time with your father? It's you know. It kills me anymore because I, I have so many friends who are in battles over their children. You know, their their ex-wives just think that they're the worst thing for the kid because they'll raise their voice now and then or they'll curse now and then. And I understand we should all try to be as perfect as we can be, but nobody's perfect. And yeah. that's one of the things that we need to teach our children. And we need to teach our children who we are and how we deal with ourselves so that they can have that starting point mm-hmm. and, and pr- progress even farther. That's my belief on it. Absolutely. So it's, uh, you know, yeah. It's, it's, you know, especially just spending all that time with my, my dad as, as a young kid. I mean, I heard cuss words constantly, you know, mm-hmm. cause again, construction workers and high school football players, they, they weren't <laughs> watching their mouth around me, you know? Yeah. yeah. And I, I, People can say what they what they want about my personality, and maybe they see plenty of flaws with it. But I think I turned out just fine. Absolutely, and and once again, I mean, I always say, you know, what comes out of the heart, or comes out of your mouth, is in your heart. You know what I'm saying? So when people hear your story, when when people hear how transparent you are you know, and, and where your heart is, you know what I mean? I, I believe that says a lot about you and that speaks volumes and they see your character as well. Um, it was good to hear how you spent time with your father. I mean, that's something that, man, fathers aren't, you don't see that anymore. I mean, ever since the industrial revolution where fathers were taken out of the home to go and work, you know, prior to that, it was an apprenticeship. Okay. You went with your dad at a certain age to go and learn your trade. Okay. Yep. And uh, that that's cool to see that you experienced that. You got to go and and see what it was like to be a man and be in and you know what I mean in this world today where everybody talks about toxic masculinity and stuff like that. You know what I mean? You were around that and you came out good. You're not out there killing people or, or, or doing you know mass murders and stuff like that, which they try to blame on this toxic masculinity. And I, I think it's cool that you're able to experience that. That leads me into my next question. What influence from your father, what, like, what, what influenced you from your father to go into politics, if you don't mind sharing with us? Yeah, I mean, quite a bit. He was a, he was a history teacher, mm-hmm. and he actually special, he specialized, he specialized in uh, poli-sci. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> growing up, I heard quite a bit about the history of politics, especially in the United States of America. Um, that, that influenced me at a, at a very young age. I was a big reader. I loved reading. So just hearing, hearing about past presidents from my father, 
hearing you know about the things that they did inspired me to get into books mm-hmm. and it became like this obsession of mine to where it's like anytime I had a chance to do a book report you know like any elective project throughout school it always became about you know doing doing something political you know especially when I was younger it was all about the American presidents for me I was big into Abraham Lincoln George Washington JFK when I was younger especially and as I've gotten older I've developed quite the appreciation for Ronald Reagan especially mm-hmm. being from California and, and seeing what he did from here I feel like he kind of laid the groundwork for with somebody who wants to get into politics in California you know that he kind of made that that starting point for us where we've, where we've got to take it from here mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but yeah my uh, my dad was just constantly having conversations with me about about politics, but also about philosophy, which eventually led me into studying philosophy, which I think really is the reason I'm getting into politics now. It's because of my philosophy, and that was passed on to me, you know, mostly by my father and my grandpa, frankly, his father, who I also spent a lot of time with. That's another thing I'm, I'm very blessed to say is, you know, my grandpa who fought in two wars for this country. He... He basically spent the first five years of my life with me because as my dad, as I said, I never went to daycare. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it was the first five years of my life. It was it was spent with my grandma and my grandpa. And then after that, it was just I was constantly on the road working with my dad. But, yeah, I mean, that first five years I, I spent learning from a man who fought in in war. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's like how, how often anymore? Again, it's just. We have such a PC culture, it's like I, I almost feel like people would think that you shouldn't choose a soldier as a babysitter, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's, it blows my mind to even to say something like that. But this, uh, living here in California, this is a sentiment that I, I come across on a daily basis. I mean, they actually question the control of soldiers and stuff like that, you know? It, but growing up, it's, I never... Never once thought that it was it was a problem spending time with my grandpa, construction mm-hmm. worker, you know, veteran of two wars, and he he should, he certainly taught me how how to be a man from his his perspective. Yeah, definitely, and <laughs> that's back when men were men and sheep were nervous. I mean, <laughs> you know, those guys yeah, were hard are. dudes. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, we we played with fake guns. You know, it's like you're not allowed to do that anymore. It just mm-hmm. blows my mind. Yeah, no, that's crazy, and that we're going to go into our transition to this topic about the state of California, okay, um, Joseph, um, thank you once again just for sharing your childhood and giving us a brief background, you know what I mean, that was that was awesome. Um, so the question I had that came in, these are all questions that came in from our, our listeners, okay, Joseph? Yeah. The first one's going to be, how will you protect the state of California from tyrannical leadership like Maxine and Pelosi? Well, that's a great question. Um, I plan on standing firm in the governor's seat on any legislation that comes through that is proposed that is even arguably unconstitutional. Um, So that's the first leg of it is that I'm not going to be signing any more legislation into law that is even arguably unconstitutional. That certainly has anything to do with the Second Amendment. But primarily, I'm focused on the First, the Second, and the Fifth Amendment. But 
that has to do with anything constitutional. The problem with that, though, is that California can override a veto from the governor. Mm-hmm. So it's a great question because I, I would like to answer it honestly. I would like to have a magic wand to deal with this, this tyranny in California once and for all and in a one fell swoop, but it's not that easy. So I'm making the strategic move to be the person in the governor's seat that is going to make the stance there that is necessary, but I'm also going to have to be reaching out to communities and working with them to replace these legislators that are not listening to their constituents, that are not voting the way that their constituents would have them vote, they're not passing the legislation that their constituents would have them pass, because they're the ones who can override the veto. They're the ones who are usurping all the power here in California. Mm-hmm. They just happen to have a governor that went along with them and looked like the bad guy. And frankly, I mean, he, he was the bad guy because he was going along with them. But we got to realize that it's a, it's a whole team of Newsoms here that we've got to deal with, Yes, not just Gavin Newsom. Hmm. That leads me to my next question. So how are you planning to win the hearts and minds of those people that, say, for instance, uh, Bruce Jenner might appeal to without alienating your Republican base? Well, I'm not trying to. I'm not trying to, to be honest with you. Um, I'm not trying to win over any hearts and minds. I'm not trying to influence anybody to see me in any light that, I don't exist in. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I firmly believe that whoever wins this recall race mm-hmm. is going to get 25 to 30% of the total vote because there are going to be so many people on the ballot. In 2003, there were 123 people on the recall ballot. Mm-hmm. ballot. And I'm pretty sure there's going to be more than that this year. So I think that whoever ends up winning is only going to need 20 20 to 30 percent of the vote. Um, if you look at what Donald Trump did here in California, he got 36 percent of the vote, and that's even with all the speculation going on. So I tend to think that if I if I firmly go for not just Republicans, but the the Trump voting Republicans, and I show them that I'm the one here in California who's going to stand for what we thought Donald Trump was going to do for California. Mm-hmm. I I think that's the the strategy to take. I think that's the route to victory to take. I think that they're going to see that I'm genuine. And I think that they're going to show up and support me like no other support base ever could. Mm-hmm. No, I, I I agree I with you. And I I don't think I need to. You know, I don't think I'm going to appeal to them by being something that I'm not. First of all, or mm-hmm. by trying to appeal to somebody that, quite frankly, I don't have any respect for absolutely and i think that's what people are hungry for right now i mean we're tired of the the silver tongue politician who speaks out of both sides of his mouth you know what i mean we need transparency we need people who have actually lived life you know um yep. it even goes into religion you know what i mean people who you know bible thump and and, and you know and i'm not bagging on that because I, i'm a believer in jesus christ okay but uh-huh. I've had a lot of people, especially in this trade, tell me, I knew something was different about you, but I never heard you preaching. I never heard you telling me I was a bad guy. I never heard you putting me down. But when I needed to talk to somebody, 
I knew to go to you. I just knew to go to you. You know, and to me, that's yeah. just a testament of me just living a good life. You know, I'm not perfect. I'm not perfect by any means. I'm not trying to say that or anything like that, but I strive. And I see that in you. I, I see that you're striving to to make a difference. You know what I mean? To have that higher purpose to be a leader. And I think that's what the world needs. Yeah. And I think that's what's going to draw people to you. I appreciate it. Yeah, that's it's something I, I come across a lot. You know, it's people... People always say, you know, that, uh, like, there's somebody that people like to talk to, mm-hmm. you know. And it's, it's interesting how there are those people among us, right? They're not doctors. They're not psychiatrists. They're not preachers. Mm-hmm. They're not in the confession booth. But yet they, they seem to have this magnetism that, that brings people that have something to talk about, you know, some pain in their heart or something that they're going through that they need some advice on mm-hmm. or just a hug, you know, it's like there, there are people around us that are in our society that are, are just naturally good at, at taking care of these things. I'm certainly one of those people, people have, you know, it was like when yeah. I was younger, when I was in college and stuff, I was always kind of surprised about it because it's like at the end of every day it's like i just had three major conversations you know about people's life stories and it it almost got to the point where it's like you know uh you start to think of it as a a burden because it's it's something that happens so often Mm -hmm. and especially in you know in a setting like college you you're starting to think about what you want to do for a profession and mm-hmm. you see all these people studying psychology that are, are going to be doing this for a living and getting a lot of money for it mm-hmm. right and that that kind of starts to touch on what you were talking about and where I would like to take this which is that's where we start to separate ourselves mm-hmm. is do we need money for this do we do we see this as a burden? Are we going to stop this because we see that it it has some effect on us, right? When people talk to me about their emotions, I, I'm kind of an empath, so I, I take on their their emotions. You know, I, I take on the, the feelings that they're having, and it's like it's like love, right? Like yeah. you you don't stop loving somebody just because you had your heart broken, right? So that's the way I look at at all of these conversations with anybody it's 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 love mm-hmm. you know you, you you don't stop giving just because somebody took something from you right yes you don't stop speaking to somebody just because one conversation ruined your day and you don't go out ripping people off just to be a human mm-hmm so, yeah, when I was in college, I was, uh, that was a big decision for me was, um, what do I want to do for a living? Mm-hmm. And quite frankly, the only thing that I learned in college was what I don't want to do for a living. Ain't that the truth? I mean, now, especially with the, uh, the agenda that's out there, I mean, they're, they're totally pushing out all these moral values. You know, all these moral values that fathers are, are placing or failing to place in their children, correct? You know, yep. they're, they're, they're completely overriding that, which leads me to my next question. 
and that question is let me find it right here what do you feel that the other party gains from with this agenda this destruction of the family unit um i think that there are people in our government mm -hmm. who are not working for uh the people their constituents mm -hmm who they're supposed to be working for, whether it be the state, whether it be the feds, whether it be a city. Um, I, I think that there are people who are working for a foreign interest. There are, you know, lots of different foreign interests, right? There are lots of countries in this world who don't like the United States of America, believe it or not, and they all work to get to, to find their way into the United States of America, to find their way into our government to turn somebody into a puppet via money, via blackmail, mm -hmm. etc. And there are that that stuff is all old news. That that doesn't really concern me anymore and it doesn't really concern the United States of America anymore. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The people though working for China and the people working for the UN, mm -hmm. those are the problems. Those are the big problems that we're facing right now. And they are they're performing a war tactic on us. Because mm -hmm. if we collapse or if we fall into a civil war, you know, where it seems like the, the government is collapsing or doesn't have control over the people anymore, mm -hmm. then that that's going to open the door for a, a stronger authority to have to take over California. That's just the reality of it. Yeah. So the... You're either going to be looking at the federal government moving in or the U.N., which, quite frankly, I think the federal government right now works for the U.N. I think, you know, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, mm -hmm. et cetera, they clearly don't have the nation's best interest in mind. They're clearly serving the uh, groups that were created by foreign interests, like mm -hmm. BLM, uh, like, I mean, even... That's the thing. They're, they're on both sides. They're playing both sides. Like the Proud Boys, for example, you know, they had a, they had a leader who was recently outed as a CIA agent. Mm -hmm. and, and they were working with Hamas as well in the Middle East. Wow. So it's just, you've got these, these institutions at this point, you know, mm -hmm. that are aiding the deep state in our, in our government. So it's it's turned into quite the situation. People laugh whenever people like the Iranian prime minister say that you know they could call upon an army in the United States of America. I don't I don't think that many people realize that that's entirely possible at this point. Uh, I, I and I, you know what? That's a sad part. It's true. I mean, they're playing chess, not checkers. You know what I mean? And. This has yeah. been going on for years and years. You know what I mean? It's been a slow burn, and that agenda, whatever their agenda is, has been happening. You know, un, you know, under the guise of, you know, um, let's change, let's reform this, let's reform this. You know, and I firmly believe. I don't know how true this is, but I think it started with our children. I mean, it's crazy how we have a generation now who totally hates America. Where was that taught? Yep. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Well, I can go through it all with you. 
Absolutely. Yeah, the, if you, you can touch on that, please. <laughs> the it all it all comes from Hitler Youth. I don't know if you know anything about the Hitler Hitler Youth organization, but to briefly touch on that, mm-hmm. they essentially they got rid of the Boy Scouts in Germany. Mm-hmm. Sound familiar? Yes, yes. And they replaced regular schooling eventually once Hitler took power uh, with the Hitler Youth curriculum that they started in the Boy Scouts. And what effect this all this curriculum had was it ended up making the youth of Germany think that their parents were idiots, mm-hmm. think that their parents were used, and it caused this mass wave of disrespect to anything that was traditional German. Mm-hmm. And they believed then that Hitler was the only person to follow. He, he saw them as the only elder that wasn't tricked by everybody. And, you know, essentially anything then that Hitler said, mm-hmm. it was... It was taken as a word of God, essentially. So, you know, eventually he was able to get get these kids on meth. Jeez. And that's, I mean, that's that's the reality of it. Most of those soldiers, most of those Nazi soldiers, they were on meth the entire time. Wow. And we all know the effects of that. I mean, yeah. Gosh. I mean, and, and that, that even ties into this, this question that came in about critical race and the theory that is being pushed into our school curriculum. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. wh- what are your thoughts on that, and do you support it or not? No, absolutely not. I would be removing okay. critical race theory immediately if I am elected governor. Um, it, it came from fascists. It came from communist camps even. Communists adopted it after the, after the Nazis were taken down. Mm-hmm. It's just... It's just bad news. I mean, it's. I don't believe in race, first of all. So sorry, everybody out there. You know, it's the human race. Yes. Skin color can change from generation to generation. We've got to end this stupidity. I, I agree with you 100%. I mean, one of the things we learned in the military was divide and conquer. And I mean, and that's we're seeing it today. You know, people just got to open up their eyes. And see that that's happening. I mean, they're creating this mass hysteria of, oh, there's a race war going on. And don't get me wrong, there is racism. There's always been racism from oh, yeah. from oh, yeah. the, the days of the Jews, you know what I mean, being used as slaves, to the Irish being treated the way they were, to the, the Native Americans. I mean, to I mean, it, it goes on. It's always been oh, yeah. there, you know what I mean? And Italians weren't treated too good when we, st- when we yeah. started coming here either. Yeah, absolutely. There you go. And an- another one, you know what I mean? And uh, me being a third generation American on my father's side, let's see, my great grandpa came here to America at the age of 14 as a whaler. He came on a whaling boat. Okay? Nice. And, uh, you know, so, <laughs> you know, we're barely legal on my dad's side. You know what I mean? He came from Europe. You know what yeah. I mean? He came from Portugal. Yeah. You know? And, uh, I thought I always think that's interesting when people tell me, "Oh, you know, we're we're this, we're that," and I'm like, "Oh, well, dude, I'm barely legal on my dad's side." You know what I mean? <laughs> you know, but he yeah. came here, he thrived, he 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 sought out the American dream, he tried to build something f- 
for his family. You know what I mean? A legacy. Yep. And and that's the great thing about this country that I think a lot of people are forgetting is you have every opportunity here. You know, if you if, yeah. you, if you so choose to take it. And I think that you can get pissed off and you can get in a fight, but it's going to be like going up against a wall. So yeah. there's you got to realize, you know, we we know that there's difficulties here in this society. Mm-hmm. And we're when we tell you that you can do anything, you really can do anything. It's mm-hmm. just that there's a, there's a way to get there. Yes. And it's not by scream. It's not by screaming at the system. It's not by screaming at our security guard. Yes, I agree. Sometimes the greasy wheel doesn't get the grease, right? <laughs> exactly. Yep. What do you propose to bring to the table in support of families, if you don't mind, Joseph? I'm sorry, what was that? Uh, what do you propose to bring to the table in support of our families? Um, I, I value family, and essentially what that means to me is a household's ability to make decisions for themselves, mm-hmm. to raise their children the way that they think that their children should be raised, um, to provide a safe community for people to have the have the safety to enjoy freedom, you know, that mm-hmm. they feel in their hearts, and. I, you know, I feel essentially it's it's that value that I'm I'm going to bring to the table um, when I'm sitting there making decisions, dealing with the battles on a daily basis of people who are trying to further encroach on our liberty to make our own decisions, on our liberty to uh, raise our children the way that we want to, our liberty to bring our children where we want to for travel or vacations, our liberty to uh, educate our children the way that we would want to have them educated with the materials that we would want to have them educated with. It's it's going to be me sitting there fighting against these people from from a different standpoint than I think we normally have have somebody in the government looking from. I I firmly believe that we've been ruled over by aristocrats for too long. Mm-hmm. I even look at people like Arnold Schwarzenegger. I, I, have, I, I happen to think Arnold Schwarzenegger is a great guy. I have a lot of respect for Arnold Schwarzenegger. He's done a lot with his life. He's, again, an immigrant, not even from this country. Mm-hmm. And he killed it here. Wow, what an amazing job. And he didn't start off famous. I mean, he's, he had a, a job. He was educating himself. And he went and he worked out at night. He wasn't even a big guy when he came to the United States of America. You know, but he put in the extra hours at night to get as big as he got. I mean, there's, I could go off about Arnold Schwarzenegger. There's a lot to respect about the guy, but he didn't make a good governor because he had been rich for too long. It just it detaches you too much from what the common Californian is going through. Mm-hmm. We're not all living in the streets in California. Yes, there are way too many living in the streets, especially now. But we're not all living in the streets. We're not all, you know, right on the verge of, of being homeless tomorrow. Mm-hmm. But we're certainly not at the level of an Arnold Schwarzenegger or a Bruce slash Caitlyn Jenner 
or even a Kevin Faulkner or a Cox. You know, these these people they 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 don't understand what the average Californian is going through. So how on earth can they make decisions in our best interest? Mm. Wow. Yeah. No. No. I I agree a hundred percent because you're right. They are detached. And how are you going to relate to the common blue-collar worker out there who's busting his butt, who his wife has to work, he has to work? You know, they're, they're not getting that quality time with their children to instill those values. I mean, it just makes it harder and harder, and it's, just, it's a snowball effect. You know what I mean? Yeah. Then you see it in the next generation, you know? And it turns into these good-for-me but not-for-thee policies. I mean, you know, like Gavin Newsom, it, it, it's really epitomized in somebody like Gavin telling people not to go out and dine Mm -hmm. and then he goes out to the french laundry and it just it just shows the attitude and the perspective that they actually have they truly believe that it is okay for them to do what they are telling others it is bad for them to do Mm -hmm. because they think that they're cleaner you know they think that oh since i'm richer and i can go out to this more expensive restaurant this more expensive restaurant is going to do a much better job at at making sure that everybody's safe and sanitized and that is a complete disrespect to the to the taco bell that does business every single day for years and years and years and make sure that they don't give anybody salmonella poisoning right 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 now uh, we we see that here too in uh in new mexico with our governor uh michelle grisham i mean it's do what i say not what i do you know, when she's telling us to stay locked down, I mean, we were just as locked down. In fact, we just came back in California. I did a podcast out there, and I got to speak to a bunch of people out there um, a few weeks ago. And I was amazed. We got off in Ontario with my family, and no one was wearing masks. They thought we are crazy. And I'm thinking you guys were, like, you know what I mean, locked down and yeah. stuff. And one of the people that picked us up at the airport was like, no, we're, we got we got masks uh, what was the term she used? Uh, mask fatigue. She's like, we're done. We're over yeah. this. You know what I mean? And it's good to see that you guys are standing up, you know, that people are starting to, I don't want to say woke because I hate that word, but they're starting to become awake. Okay. Yeah. And, you know, it, it's good to see. It's good to see that people are starting to see the writing on the wall, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah. There's some people who have Stockholm syndrome here, to be honest with you. It's uh we, we, we have a lot of independent people in California, and people aren't going to give up their lifestyle for years the way that they did for 2020. You know, they were deceived into fully believing that there was something that they needed to help the public overcome. Mm-hmm. So they, they did their, their part, and I, I don't agree with what they did, but I, I still respect that they thought that they were doing what was good. Mm-hmm. They're now seeing that they had the wool pulled over their eyes, they're not getting their lives back, and they're going to stand up and take their lives back. There's way too many strong people in California. To, you know, you can fool some people sometime, you can't fool all the people all the time. There's right. no way that you're going to fool California all the time. No way. And, so, mm-hmm. that's good. But there are still so many people in the cities that I'm noticing now, they have full-on Stockholm systems. They're starting to relate with their captors. And they're starting to police their communities because of this, this Stockholm syndrome that they, they're experiencing. Mm-hmm. 
Wow. That, and so, you, you know, you true. see this in the big cities especially, and it's, that's where you start to see that, that Nazi or that uh, Soviet perspective start to come into play. I think that's where we're getting these groups, you know, popping up that are, are very reminiscent of Nazis or Soviets. Mm-hmm. Wow. And, you know, and it's true. I mean, we see it here, I mean, with people who are freaking out you know, over you not wearing a mask. Like right now, no one's wearing masks. Um, you still see the ones who are still caught up in fear. And I, I say that fear, you know what I mean? Um, they're in terror, literally just wearing yeah. these masks. I mean, by yourself in a car wearing a mask, you know? Yeah. And, you know, yeah. at first I used to laugh at it, but now it's like, man, those poor people. I mean, gosh, yeah. where, where, where did they... How did that get in your head so far to where you believe that you got to wear a mask by yourself in your vehicle? I mean, it's it's crazy, you know. Yeah. Um, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about the homeless problem. Absolutely. How can you help or how what what do you suggest about cleaning up that problem in California? And it seems that blue states have the biggest populations of homeless people yet have mm-hmm. the most social programs. Why do you think that is? Well, social programs are ways for criminals to make money. Uh-huh. So that's something that our deep state loves to do. That's just another way for them to to increase their income. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a ton of homeless in this state, a lot more than we even should have, because a lot of people do send their homeless out to California with a one-way bus ticket. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of people here. I, I work with a lot of people who work with homeless, trying to get them into homes and get them the resources that they need. Mm-hmm. And there's a, a good percentage, about 10%, I'd say. It's like one out of every 10 person is not from the state, and they were homeless before. They were homeless in California and they, they don't remember where, I mean, a lot of people don't remember where they're from. They don't remember their family. And people just, instead of dealing with the burden, they just put them on a one-way bus ticket out to California because it's the best place to be homeless because of the weather. Mm-hmm. So we've, we've definitely got a homeless problem in California. I, I think that it needs to be divided and conquered. Yes. I think that there's people on the streets who absolutely should not be on the streets based on what the United States of America says it is. For example, I don't think that we should be sending people off to war and then have them in a situation when they get back home to where they're they're homeless on the streets. Um, I think if you fought in a war for this country, we should take care of you. You know, it, it, I, don't, I don't really care. <laughs> Frankly, I don't care what it is that is keeping you from getting that money to buy a house or pay rent i don't care if you fought in a war for this country put your life on the line we sent you off to war we said you could die over there and not come back thanks for your help now you're back now you're alive you need to you need to be taken care of Mm -hmm. so that's the first place that i would be dividing the homeless is who are the veterans on the streets immediately we need to take care of them i've got a plan that i've I'm authoring right now with a couple veterans, and it's called You Made It Home. 
and it's kind of a play on words because they made it home, but also they're going to make the home. Wow. So the, uh, the plan is to set aside land and resources with money that we're already taking from our taxpayers that I can show everybody is being misused, if not, you know, completely given away because we did have like over $30 billion that completely disappeared in 2020 from our taxpayers. So, you know, there's things like that, but all that aside, I'm going to show people that we can take this money that we're already spending and we can reallocate it over here for this land and for these resources for these homeless vets to build their own tiny home in this community now where there's counselors and there's a support structure. You know, the, the community itself is going to be a support structure because veterans, they, they have a, a natural, you know, uh, sense of family and team. So I, I tend to think that putting them in the same neighborhood is just immediately going to uh, create a support system for them, but then also put some counselors in that community mm-hmm. that can help people retransition into normal society who are able to do so. Mm-hmm. But then also be there for everybody who needs to stay in that community and, and act as the extra support uh to, for that community and then also relay to the state what we need to do to continue to improve and make sure that we're staying authentic with our vision. So that's that's one thing that I want to do immediately. I, I want to divide and conquer, as I said, the mm-hmm. homeless problem. And the first thing I want to do is I want to get the, the veterans off the streets. I want to make sure that we don't have any homeless veterans. Mm-hmm. Next is families. You know, anybody with a child... Again, quite frankly, I don't care what you did to get there. We need to make sure that your child is taken care of. And I'm not into separating families. Again, I, I, I think that everybody is given their parents by, by God. Mm-hmm. And if, if they're not abusing them to, you know, to the extent that we've, we've, we call abuse in the state of California, mm-hmm. I, I think that they should be with their parents. So I, I'm going to give parents a bit of a break there, and uh, we're going to make sure that we, we get the kids off the streets and we get the families in a situation to where anybody who wants to try to put their life together and, be, and make a good home for their child will have the opportunity to do that with the state's help. Mm-hmm. From there, I, I think that it's going to get a little bit more difficult uh, to divide and conquer, uh, the, the, for example, the people who are left on the streets that, you know, they, they have the means to possibly transition back into society, but perhaps they've fallen into a drug problem or, or something like that. Mm-hmm. And they're not, they don't necessarily have a criminal mind, but they, they certainly aren't living a, a, a legitimate lifestyle. And uh, I think that it's going to be harder to separate those people out from the people who are on the streets fully by choice, uh, who are there to traffic drugs and traffic whatever children they can. Um, 
at that point, like I said, it's it's going to get a little bit more difficult to see the difference between those two. Yeah. But the difference the difference is going to come by. Okay, now we know that we don't have veterans on the streets. We know that we don't have families on the streets. Let's let our police now go out there and deal with homeless crime. Yes. Let's let our police go out there and find, you know, the the guns that are being pushed, the drugs that are being pushed, the children that are being trafficked. Let's go out there and find these hot spots where these homeless are contributing to that, and let's actually deal with this homeless crime. Let's actually start arresting some homeless for committing crimes because that everybody thinks, oh, my gosh, that's such a horrible thing. But we do have a rehabilitation system in our in our uh laws you know in our uh, incarceration process so it's it's something it's it's a sad reality for something like Butte county for example where i'm from in chico mm-hmm. there's uh there's over a hundred beds available every night in Butte county but nobody takes them because mostly because they're they're on drugs so now if you're arrested that kind of starts that that can start that process of becoming clean so if i'm that person on the streets where i'm not fully there by choice i haven't established a lifestyle of trafficking drugs or trafficking kids and being happy living on the streets if i'm arrested it put it's that's where we start to weed out you know the yeah the the difference in personalities there, because if I'm if I'm arrested, then all of a sudden that gives me an opportunity to get clean and see that there's there's a different way to go. Because you know, like when people are in jail, there's counseling in there as well. There's also, I mean, police officers are looked at as horrible people, but they give out advice on a regular basis too about how to just put one foot in front of the other or how to get out there and find the resources that are available to get back into society, etc. So I tend to think that. You know, allowing police to do not nearly as much of a Gestapo situation as people want to make it out to be. Mm-hmm. No, and, and I agree, though. You really touch base. I, I, I agree with your plan. I've never heard it put that way before. Um, I agree with you as, you know, with the, the veterans, right? Um, yeah. I had a guest. I, I, I did a podcast with a VA counselor out of Florida and he talked about the same thing. He's like, when you get these veterans and you put them in general society, they're going to be the outcast because they don't think the way other people do. But when yeah. you get them in a community, they start realizing, Hey, I'm not messed up. I'm just around like-minded people. So I think that's mm-hmm. a great, I mean, great idea to put them in this community to where they could be around like-minded people. And through that process, I believe that there'll be healing, you know, and then having counselors yeah. there and stuff like that. I mean, that, 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 that was a great, great idea. I mean, I thank you for sharing that with us. Um, thank you. We're uh, getting close on time. So I kind of want to go through some of these questions, Joseph, if you don't mind. Um, one of them that came in was, uh, it's kind of a blue collar question. Okay. And the question is, there's a perception that exists that as a union member, we should support Democratic parties. How would a Republican governor promote our union tradesmen? That is a good question. 
Um, I, I'm not huge on unions right now. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, it's. I think in 2020 we just saw the, the power of a union in the teachers' unions. I, I think that a lot of people want to put blame on Newsom uh, for the shutdown. And, again, it's, it's a team of Newsoms. And in this case, when you look specifically at the reasons why schools were shut down so long, it was because the teachers' unions were refusing to have their teachers go back to school. And as it turns out, it only took $2 billion to change their mind. So what that typically means is that they were striking. Hmm. Okay, so when you take a look at all the children who died, in 2020 by suicide, and when you take a look at the fact that children of school age, more children of school age died by suicide in 2020 than from COVID-19, you can thank your teachers' unions for striking, because that's the reality there. Wow. So I, I have a problem here with unions, because united we stand, divided we fall, and it seems like we, ha- we should have one union. That is the United States of America that is now being divided and controlled by greater union. So tradespeople, it, it goes along with soldiers. It goes along with everything else. Mm-hmm. I, support, I support the individual. But when you start talking about the larger organization, mm-hmm. the larger organization, it... it it takes. It's like the BLM founder who, you know, out wound up buying like four huge billion-dollar compounds and then just saying, all right, I'm not a part of BLM anymore. That was fun. And in the meantime, she's married to a white girl. Talking about how white supremacy is the problem. The people at the top, just like the military-industrial complex that Eisenhower warned against. I do not support the military-industrial complex, folks. I don't. That does not mean that I don't support soldiers. I fully do. I support the United States of America. I support the Constitution. I support our freedoms. I support people in our society standing up to make sure that the rights guaranteed in our Bill of Rights are well protected. And I appreciate so much of what our our Army does, of what our military does. And when there's disasters around the world, it's often our military answering the call is often our military helping we do a lot more helping than we do hurting i believe that mm-hmm. but again it's it's these people at the top so when we talk about unions that's i start to get i start to get wary because i as much as i would like to give a nice political answer that makes everybody warm and fuzzy i think right now we've got we need to face the music we've got a lot of work to do if we don't get these things taken care of then our kids are not even going to be in a position to fight back. So when we start talking unions, I, I I'll just be honest. I'm I'm not a favor of unions. I I don't think that's the direction to go right now. I mm-hmm. think that uh, tradesmen, you can take a look at what teachers are doing right now because they are organizing and moving because they are not happy with what happened in 2020 either. They're not happy with what they're union leaders did um so they're they're starting
starting to form some new organizations, and I'm only just now starting to really educate myself on what that is, so I'm not going to sit here and tell you all about it. Mm -hmm. But uh, CTA is the big teachers' union that everybody is abandoning. So if you want to look up uh, Leave CTA, Mm -hmm. you'll get a lot of information about what teachers are now doing. And I think that that's the direction that it seems like tradespeople in general should be going. Man, I, I appreciate your honesty on that, and I, I once again, man, I applaud you for for not being one of them politicians who tries to, you know, talk out of both sides of his mouth and, and, and you know, a career politician. We see too many of that, and I thank you for your transparency. I really do, because it, it took guts to get, come on here and say that. And, you know, the thing, Joseph, I want to tell you is uh, I'm a union man, and uh I agree with you, and there's countless union men out there who are seeing it. They're seeing the same exact thing that you're talking about. People are getting tired. People are starting to awake, and there's a shift going on. There is a shift, and I'm so thankful that guys like you were able to rise up during this shift and have the courage to be able to to make a change. I mean, we need more people like you. Thank you. Yeah, josephluciano.com. Please visit there. Consider making a donation, josephluciano.com. I'm also on my Instagram on a regular basis, and I'm interacting with anybody who wants to interact with me there. It's luciano, the number four, C-A-G-O-V. Luciano, four, C-A-G-O-V. 